Reframing is a process of replacing an old story with a new one by widening the frame, narrowing the frame, or shifting the frame to another scene entirely. The powers that be usually go to great lengths to frame their agenda in a way that is favorable for their interests. Just think of how we've heard these words used. Tax relief. Like a camera's viewfinder, the frame of a narrative focuses the public on specific information that reflects the interests of the framers. So how do you reframe an issue? Our guest, Mumbai Ruth, sits down today with Phil Wilmot to share how local organizers in Kenya worked to reframe issues locally, which had major nationwide reverberations in the form of an election. I'm Chelsea Byers, and this is Beautiful Trouble, the podcast. Stick with us. Great. Today, we're going to talk about the principle of reframing the issue. Um, and your activism organizing has covered all kinds of issues across Kenya and elsewhere. Um, so you can start by telling us a little bit about your experience as a troublemaker. Uh, that's a tricky question, I feel, but also an exciting question, because as a troublemaker, I've had... Uh, uh, myriads of experiences uh, where sometimes uh, uh, you are you are recognized and uh, you get such a, a massive support from the people that uh, you are trying to organize with and uh, uh, for. And uh, sometimes it has also been uh, vice versa where we've uh, uh, found myself uh, to be in a position of uh, repression where I've been victimized, I've been profiled, I've been targeted. Uh, to a certain point, I've been even forced to live in exile. I've been into jail because of standing and organizing the communities to stand up and rise against injustices. So it, uh, I've also been recognized uh, because of the work that I have done by local media, international media, even international organizations who have awarded me for being that bold, courageous, a woman who's not afraid to speak truth to power. Yes. Yes, great. So as we talk about this principle of reframing an issue um, and this sort of eternal battle between oppressor and oppressed over controlling the narrative and um, propaganda, etc., um, tell us a little bit about recent the recent political scene in Kenya, because I think we need some of that context in order to get into this discussion. Uh, the recent uh, political scene in Kenya is um, is um, uh, is uh, inspired by the political situation that we have just come from as a country. Uh, last year, we had an election that was uh, really, really competitive. And uh, in this election, uh, there were two fronts. One of the front was uh, 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 was the Azimio. The Azimio coalition was led and um, uh, was led by one of the progressive. I can say one of the progressive forces that we have have ever had in Kenya, who led, uh, who was uh, fighting for the second liberation, who has been in the forefront of fighting for uh, democracy in the country and even in Africa. He has also been uh, um, in jail. He has been. He was tortured by the regime that he was fighting for in the 90s, against in the 90s. Um, he has been uh, uh, in the forefront of the fight uh, to uh, to see Kenya uh, um, uh, uh, respect human rights. 
And the other fraction was the opposite of the Azimio, because uh, it was uh, the Kenya Kwanza fraction that was led by uh, people, I can say, um, were the tormentors of the second liberators in the 90s. This is a group of people that um, uh, were torturing, that were uh, exiling and even um, uh, disappearing um, uh, our, our second liberators, and especially um, uh, the, the political prisoners. Uh, they have a really uh, sad stories about the, sec the two second in command currently now. And so this made the uh, it made uh, uh, the election very um, uh, very uh, very interesting because it was uh, a pro governance and pro status quo, where the, where as a country we were afraid that if they get into power, we are going back to the dark days that Kenya uh, was in the 90s, and unfortunately they were able to capture that power. And they captured the power uh, through um, the narrative that uh, they uh, try to portray themselves as righteous. They are uh, God-sent people. Uh, they are very religious. Uh, they go to church. They pray. They work with uh, the vulnerable people. And they are representing um, the poor people. Because uh, 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 our, 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 our president, now the current president, President Ruto, has always uh, reminded us about his humble background. And uh, uh, during the campaign, he will talk to people, to poor people to tell them, if I'm the one here coming to ask for your votes, you can as well make it. And I'm here representing, I'm your representation. I'm here representing you, the poor people. I'm here representing you, the Buddha Buddha guys. I'm here representing you, the mama bo. Bogas. So he, he used um, a, pro, a proletarian narrative to propel himself into power. But now the way things are, it's, uh, he has forgotten about the hustlers who, uh, he said that when he captures power, he, his government, he's going to make uh, uh, his government a hustlers a government and he's going to, uh, uh, to, uh, to build his government with the hustlers and all the nominations and the appointment that he's going to make as a president, it's going, he's going to prioritize the hustlers, but we are seeing the opposite of that. Okay, so now that he has not prioritized the working class, the hustlers of Kenya, um, and that Ruto has fallen short on his promises, how are you all in Kenya reframing this kind of language, this kind of uh, propaganda that was uh, espoused by Ruto. <laughs> it's interesting that, um, and I think because of the massive organizing that the movements in Kenya have continued to do and uh, have done in the past, I can really say that it has really kind of woken up the consciousness of the people. And as a, as a movement, uh, we are still continuing to organize uh, the, our communities and the uh, working class uh, to, to reclaim back the power that uh, they donated to the current uh, president. Because uh, uh, during his uh, uh, election period, he will go around the country saying that, that uh, him being the representation of the working class, because he comes from a poor background, that he's going to make sure uh, within the first 100 days that um, 
the prices of the basic commodities, flour, it's going to come down. And he said that um, uh, he got his, his, as well, he is going to uh, make sure that we have elect electricity at an affordable price. He also made sure that, said that uh, education uh, uh, for hustlers and poor people, uh, he's going to, prior to prioritize education. And in terms of um, uh, health, he, made, he committed that uh, he's going to make sure that every Kenyan, and especially the poor, are going to be covered by uh, the universal um, health insurance uh, by, by, by the Kenyan government. But uh, after capturing power, instead of uh, uh, um, fulfilling the promises that he made to the people, it has been vice versa. Uh, like he said when uh, during his inauguration that after he, he sworn in and when he puts down the Bible, the price of Wunga was going to go to 70 shillings. But it, instead, it has risen up to 208 Kenyan shillings from 100 bob. This is... Uh, <laughs> uh, this is uh, more than double. Yeah, it's more than, even more than triple because it has never reached that extent. Mm -hmm. It shows you that majority of the people that he said he's going to represent are the ones who consume this unga. They are the working class, poor people. This is a staple food that all Kenyans um, rely on and especially from the poor background. And now you've made it even more expensive in the Kenyan history to an extent uh, not um, they can't even afford it. Uh, you've also put uh, taxation on water. Even accessing water, clean water, for a common woman, for a common person, for a, a local, a working, a local um, a shushina who is doing shushine uh, work, it's really difficult for them. And yet, you claim to be their representation of the hustlers and the working class. So as um, a reframing narrative and recapturing back uh, the, the power and the narrative of the, of the working class, we've been uh, working to, to reshape the, the narrative using the same language that, uh, that uh, he used while he was campaigning. And one of the things that, that has been very interesting is uh, the comic around it, where uh, to an extent we've, we have baptized our president as Zacchaeus of the Bible, the tax collector. Because for him, it's about how much he's making from the poor people. And it, uh, it's also important maybe to say his ideology was bottom up. He was telling people that I'm going to raise you from the bottom to up. Now, as a reframing of that narrative, we've been saying, okay, maybe this is what he meant, that he's going to take our money, the one in our pocket, at the bottom to the, to the up. But we didn't understand that, and now there is also that the other uh, 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 framing that uh, framing that uh, now on the, on the Zakias, the tax collector, whereby uh, we've been uh, doing memes around around this issue, and one of the things it's uh, it's uh, it's the you know the messaging around it where you find a woman from uh, the grassroots from the ghettos 
telling him, oh, Mr. Mr. Zakayo, Mr. Zacchaeus, even though, you, uh, you, you know, when uh, Jesus met Zacchaeus uh, and Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus because, you know, he wasn't tall enough to see Jesus, so he had to climb in a tree. And when Jesus saw him, he told Zacchaeus, now calm down. But now this has been reframed uh, to fit in the Kenyan context where people are telling our current Zacchaeus, who is the president, if, even if you don't want to calm down kindly, can you make sure that uh, the prices of Wunga, the prices of basic commodities have, have to calm down? Because even if you don't want to come down from that tree, mm. uh, we want the basic commodities to come down. Mm, mm, mm. And uh, does the Ruta administration feel, you know, threatened by this uh, inversing of their narrative? Are they reacting to it at all? Uh, I think they are, they, they are threatened, but uh, they are trying to put up a brave face. Because uh, currently at home, people are planning to go out for mass action because uh, 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 the standard of living are unbearable. But he said if, uh, that he has given people the power to protest as much as they can because he knows that they are going to get tired and, uh, and, and, and stop the protest. So he's, he's trying to put up uh, a brave face, but I know that uh, he has, uh, he's currently he's also afraid that he's lo losing the base that really supported him to capture the power, which was the working class. And the working class are now no longer, uh, that support, support base is shifting very uh, rapidly. And this, uh, uh, and this uh, is something that's, uh, um, are gonna affect uh, his uh, uh, his performance and also his uh, leadership and his uh, presidency. Yeah, and through that, uh, we are afraid because for him to contain that, uh, to we are also prepared that he might even now become brutal after when when he realized that people are no longer with him and especially the working class. Mm, mm, yeah. Mm. Why do you think it is that? authoritarians uh, react to satire or to irony. Um, you know, when we turn their own language on its head, when we use this sort of sarcasm to, to critique in a sort of humorous way um, their malfeasance or, um, you know, when we show their dark side in this kind of a humorous, you know, Zacchaeus kind of way. Um, what, what, I mean, you're a leader, right? Like you're leading all these millions of people, like you're going to get criticized at some point. Um, is it, uh, how, how do leaders in Kenya usually take this? Uh, the leaders in Kenya, because uh, I feel you are reminding me about uh, uh, the, uh, Ruto's predecessor, Uhuru Kenyatta, and... Uh, the same tactics was uh, used against Uhuru uh, to an extent uh, Uhuru was forced to, you know, like to delete all uh, his uh, social media account because of the pressure that uh, he would get. And uh, it's, it, you know, when uh, you deceive people and when you use certain narrative to get into power, uh, that na language and narrative in future comes to haunt you. 
because the people uh, will use the same narrative to pin you down. And if there is something that is really hurting, it's when uh, your own words are used against you. You can't run away from that. And that's, uh, uh, th 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 I think that's one of the things that usually makes uh, uh, many uh, tyrants to uh, fear uh, issues of uh, narrative and framing. And uh, and I, I see it happening uh, currently even in Kenya because even uh, uh, I've been trying to monitor the Facebook account of our president compared to last year, the support he had, it's kind of diminishing. Even to people who supported him are now uh, supporting the narrative that has been created by people who are opposed to his uh, candidature, uh, uh, to his presidency, sorry. Uh, so uh, that, that's what I think when, uh, when, when your own words are used against, against you, it's really very hurting and very annoying and also depressing, I think. One of the things that you're involved with, Mumbi, is the creation of a women's village. And I'd like you to tell us about that and about any propaganda that you might have encountered and how you might have had to reframe, uh, um, you know, the language around what it is you're trying to do. Uh, yes, Phil. Uh, yeah, I've been working with uh, this community of uh, women that was evicted during uh, uh, corona pandemic in 2020 where we faced massive eviction by the Kenyan government, where uh, a community of people that was around 5,000 people were evicted. And it was during uh, uh, the middle of a pandemic, and most of the people who were affected were women and children, and uh, a very unique uh, category of women. It was the elderly, the middle-aged women, young, uh, young women, uh, young uh, women who have families, uh, so for us, it was it, uh, when we started organizing. Uh, we uh, we made we we uh, we called. Uh, we we sent out an appeal because the situation was really um, uh, really difficult for women. And I remember that during that period, uh, Kenya and especially Nairobi was a, it was uh, under lockdown. You could not leave or get in off Nairobi. And then the government decided to evict you in the middle of such a pandemic where everybody was not even sure whether you will survive, you'll have to see, maybe you'll see tomorrow. And with all those protocols that were set aside by the government to uh, washing hands, uh, you know, isolating yourself and also making sure that you're not going uh, in, a crowd, in a crowded place. And now this is, a, this is a, a, an entire community that has been left vulnerable to to this, to, to, to Corona. So um, uh, after the appeal that we sent, uh, I'm glad that uh, at the Women Collective, we were able to resettle uh, 40 families that were women-led and women-headed. And after that, um, uh, we were able to get um, um, assistance from the Kenya Human Rights Commission who came and helped us to take a case to court to sue the Kenyan government for damages. But as a form of resistance, because you know, uh, the judicial processes in Kenya can even take ages. And um, 
so we had to reorganize ourselves as women because uh, when after the evictions they were dispersed in different uh, locations but uh, uh, I'm glad that we were during uh, during uh, during that period we were able to uh, to document their cases so we had their contacts uh, so um, when when as a form of a resistance we've been uh, uh, doing uh, and meeting to see how we can own a land uh, and build a village for women by women and led by women and governed by women. And we envision a society, even if it's not perfect, but but it's a perfect, it, it might be a perfect uh, world for women and especially women who are coming from the informalized um, informalized com uh, communities where they have in years experienced a lot of, of violence, violations from uh, structural violence that that's mattered to them by, by by the state. And this idea is such a brilliant and great idea that we want to, as a women, to own our own republic. But <laughs> it's a, it is an idea that has also been criticized by some of um, our, our, our male members who think that uh, we are trying to, uh, you know, to, uh, how do I, uh, we, we are trying to uh, recapture the process, the, 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 the judicial process, and uh, benefit only as women. Because for them, they are thinking, because we have started organizing as women, they are thinking if the case comes to an end, then there is uh, reparation or damages that, uh, uh, the payment of damages, that m those monies can go to these women because they have shown that they have, they are, they are, they are really organized. We've also been criticized that uh, we want to uh, to erase the, <laughs> the 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 men race because uh, because uh, we have organized ourselves as women and we don't want anybody else uh, uh, to be in the organizing process. This is a this is this is a government of women and by women. So male. Men are feeling uh, threatened because of the organizing that uh, is going around the women's village. But also, we have also gotten support and uh, from even uh, uh, from even leaders, because one thing that uh, we realized that we are going even also to reframe our messaging to fit uh, the structures that do exist in Kenya and the language that it's used, uh, like women empowerment. So for us, we've been saying that we want to empower women to have access uh, to land. But our bigger vision is to, uh, is to change the system of governance and to empower women to have that power to govern themselves and uh, have that uh, voice where they can uh, do all these radical things that they wanted uh, they want to they do. And for us, this, uh, this, uh, this republic, uh, we want it to be a republic where uh, women can exercise their bodily autonomy and rights, because uh, we, we've been really, really, as poor women living in the informalized uh, communities, uh, we've been uh, excluded, we've been, uh, in terms of even like reproductive health rights and justice, for a poor woman, uh, we've experienced and we have lost a lot of uh, young women, even middle-aged women, dying because of unsafe abortion, procuring unsafe abortion. So for us in this village, we want to set aside 
a place where we can build a clinic where women and our girls can access these rights. So we are looking this village in a multifaceted way, approach, where all these rights that women have been denied by patriarchy, we are going to get them in the village that we want to build. You must be many in number and very powerful to present the viable threat of erasing males from the planet. Yeah, I don't know. I, yeah, I think so. I think so. Because Patrick, when Patrick is rattled, it, you know, it, it comes with, uh, with such a power. It reacts with such a power. And, but uh, Phil, let me tell you, we've been uh, trying also to educate our, our men in the informalized community not to fear uh, the power of women because <laughs> Patrick <laughs> also affects them because in, in, it also has class because uh, it, it does do affect them. Uh, but they they are not mm -hmm. you know they are not conscious of that patriarchy do affect them yeah mm, 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 mm. And, uh, how and uh how can somebody support this how can somebody be a part of it um how can uh we we, we are uh, currently we are we are doing the fundraising internally uh where we uh we are contributing amongst ourselves uh towards the, the initiative and it is really encouraging uh, when I see, because I'm the one who holds the, the phone number of the groups and of, of the group, and it really encourages me the way the contribution or the way the money is deposited in our bank account. It shows you the commitment that uh, women have towards this uh, these initiative. But we plan to maybe uh, uh, reach out to external partners, friends, and people of goodwill who believe in a total li uh, liberation of uh, women and who believes in breaking um, all the systems of oppression that do affect women uh, to come on board um, uh, to, to uh, support this initiative and make it a reality uh, and um, make it a reality for women to have this village so that they can exercise uh, their, uh, their, 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 their powers. So if you want to contribute or support our, 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 our campaign, um, uh, we will be um, bringing it out to the public probably mid-month mid because we are still setting up an uh, internal mechanism on how we want to run uh, the campaign and do massive uh, fundraising beyond um, the Women Collective membership. Sure. We'll make sure to share uh, any relevant links with listeners. Um, I understand, though, you know, this conversation around reframing the issue. Um, I've heard that there are even groups in Kenya that called things like uh, men against women's empowerment, like really like formalized and apparently organized groups that are, they really feel under threat when patriarchy is, even in the most subtle and modest ways, uh, challenged. Um, I wonder if you have any other examples of how um, you have done this sort of cultural and language work around uh, feminism uh, within Kenya, uh, the patriarchal spaces of Kenya. Uh, yeah, yeah. Men against women has really uh, it has existed. I think it has existed over a decade now, and it's doing thorough organizing because now currently 
even in Kenya, they have they, they've changed Valentine's Day to be a men's day where men uh, boycott anything about love because uh, they are saying that this is the day that uh, women use to exploit them. So during that day, there is this, I think it's amorphous. It doesn't even exist, but it only exists in the men's mind where they, 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 they call it the men's conference, where men goes uh, to in an amorphous kind of a setting to discuss <laughs> how they are going to deal uh, with, uh, with the women and uh, how they are going to uh, to make laws that doesn't uh, make make them to you know to be subordinate of uh, of of uh, of women. Uh, so uh, for us uh, as a collective, uh, we know uh, these poses are a threat uh, to us, and not only to us but also to uh, emerging and also the uh, uh, emerging and the entire constituency of. Um, of uh, women, but we've really uh, tried uh, to uh, start organizing uh, to and localizing and even demystifying feminism as as not uh, as not uh, being an enemy to men, but being an enemy to systems of all oppression that do affect mankind, irregardless of their gender. Mm. And uh, we've been doing this at the community level, where we've been inviting young men to come and understand what feminism it is. Because we also realize that uh, as feminists, uh, we've been talking unto ourselves and uh, we need to also to uh, identify allies and bring allies on board and especially men allies to become allies who can also uh, spread uh, the gospel of feminism as an ideology of breaking bondages of the human race and not fighting uh, men, uh, women fighting men as it has been portrayed to be. Any bit of wisdom as a final question that you can share with uh, anybody around the world who is up against very powerful narratives held by, you know, massively wealthy or powerful people, uh, you know, with the full weaponry of mass media on their side. Um, is there any kind of wisdom that you can share with with people that are trying to reframe the issue? Uh, what, what what I can what I can tell them um, it's uh, it's not easy uh, for people to uh, like rallying uh, uh, massive number in the initial stages rallying massive numbers to support uh, your agenda but uh, i think uh, learning about um, and also learning about issues the emerging issues that are deeply affecting the communities that should be their entry point to understand the real issues that uh, uh, people are facing in their communities and build on that to create narratives. Because when you use an issue that's really pressing people, um, you don't need to, to to do extra work for these people to support you because they really um, uh, understand and relate to that issue. So the support automatically, they will support you automatically and you'll be able to win them as, an, as allies to your cause. Thanks so much, Comrade Moody. Thank you to Comrade Phil for having me. My pleasure, our pleasure. Viva.